0: After a long argument, the Congress and the Veterans Affairs Department opted to grant benefits to Navy veterans whose ship duties during the Vietnam War might have exposed them to Agent Orange. The job of administering benefits fell to the Veterans Benefits Administration. Visiting our studios earlier in person to explain a program that got underway last month, the VA Undersecretary for Veterans Benefits, Dr. Paul Lawrence.
1: The president, in June 25th of last year, signed the Blue Water Navy Act, Vietnam Veterans Act, to provide Agent Orange benefits to those folks who had been in the Blue Waters 12 nautical miles off the shore of Vietnam during the conflict, right? And so if you've been exposed to Agent Orange and you have some of the conditions, now you can have access to both health care and benefits. So it resolves a a long-running dispute, what exactly was the Republic of Vietnam, the interesting thing about this law was once it was signed, the secretary was allowed to stay it, pause it for six months while we got ready so that we could be ready on January 1st. And there was a great deal of concern that we wouldn't be ready, but we were ready and we began granting on January 1st. We've been doing that now a little more than six weeks. We've gotten about 18,000 claims. We've granted about 1,000. You know, Survivors of benefits is real important because you could imagine a lot of veterans from the Vietnam age are older, so they may have passed For conditions, perhaps, their family's spouse can apply for benefits.
0: And I want to get to some of the issues concerned with how long ago that was. But before we do, is this anyone who can prove they were in the Blue Water Navy in ships that carried this material back and forth? Is that all that's needed to be able to get these Uh, benefits? so,
1: So actually, we will find your ship in the Blue Water. So the veterans don't have to prove they were there. They have to have the conditions, and they're listed on our website, va.gov. If you search blue water, you can find the conditions. Diabetes, as you know, Tom, I'm not a medical doctor, so I won't represent them. If you have those conditions and you were in service off there, your record shows us where you were. We'll find the ship you were on, whether you're in the 12 hours. It's not so much your ships carry the Agent Orange. It is that it made its way into the water, and the water then made its way onto the ship's. That's the thinking behind the sign.
0: I guess which can happen in littoral waters.
1: Things splash, in other words. That's exactly right. The agent orange was actually carried by the merchant marines and distributed on the shore.
0: So it was controversial in deciding whether it was a worthy benefit or not. But once decided, then your job is just to deliver it.
1: Once the law is passed, we execute at VBA. And that's what we did. And just so you know, we are very serious about this and deliberate. And we actually have a benefits office in Manila. So it turns January 1st there, December 31st at about 11 o'clock in the East Coast time. That's where we started granting benefits so that we could be as, as prompt as we could, had 200 people work in the continental United States on January 1st, volunteered. We paid them, but we didn't need mandatory overtime. And I actually called the first recipient to tell them that he had been granted benefits under the new law.
0: And is it only Navy or could there be other no there's military Marines, personnel?
1: There's, there's Marines and other military personnel, but it's primarily Navy because these were Navy ships.
0: And just to get to that distance in time issue, I mean, I heard a soon-to-be veteran – The other day, give a talk about PTSD and TBI that he experienced in the early days of Iraq, special forces he's about to muster out, and he'll be one of your constituents pretty soon. That's exactly right. But he mentioned how hard it is to find records and videos and so forth of things that happened in 2004 in that part of the world. You're dealing with something 50 years ago now. And as good as the military keeps records, how do you find all these ships? Well,
1: actually, the the ship logs, which plot and they record where the ships were, were actually kept at NARA, the National Archives. And so we went and got them there. So every day, someone would come take a reading. No GPS, right? This is the 60s. uh, Eight o'clock in the morning, noontime, and eight o'clock in the evening, where they were. So we can see where the ships traveled, whether they were in the blue water or whether they were not. And that's what we use to place you whether you're in the blue water.
0: That sounds incredibly painstaking, case by case.
1: Yeah, so we had to eventually digitize, I think it's 28 million records, pictures, and then transcribe a lot of information off them to build a tool. And that's what we did in the six months, as well as train and develop procedures. But this was really the big challenge of getting this. So now we can say, geez, veterans, if you think you were have a condition, we'll find your ship. We can tell you whether you were in the blue water. Come, apply for benefits. Let us help figure this one out.
0: And how did you get that digitization done?
1: With conversations with NAR and the Department of Defense, both organizations leaned in. They understand the situation. As you can imagine, we had very good luck. The archivist, the head of NARA, is a Blue Water Navy veteran. He understood completely. We had to promise to be just awesomely careful with the records, but we were able to take them from NAR and bring them to a facility where a contractor promised, with utmost care, to help scan them. You know, put them in plastic, so and these sort of things that we do not lose them. So it was really very but much you, a cross. You needed a
0: contractor to do all. Contractor
1: of that. Contractor to do is an intense amount of work in a very short period of time under really demanding conditions.
0: And these were paper records that had been written on in pencil or whatever they use, ballpoint? 10. No,
1: pencils, you got it exactly right, all those years ago. So, you know, approaching 50 for some of them. And there's some 1,800 ships where we had this, right, every day at these period of times while they did this. So that's exactly what we did.
0: And VA staff, though, is adequate to do the evaluations? That's right.
1: Adjudicating claims is something we do regularly. That's our business. Adjudicating Blue Water, Navy, um, Agent Orange claims are things we've done before on the land and in the brown water. This required some thinking about the location, but it was somewhat similar. We had to hire more people and we had to train more people in some of the nuances of the law, but no, we're ready for this.
0: Wow. And what is the timeline for getting everyone processed or do, do they um, keep coming uh, indefinitely?
1: Well, as long as people can apply, We're on the communication campaign now, Rye. Please apply for benefits if you think you're eligible. I was just out talking to the Vietnam Veterans of America, VVA, here in Silver Spring and talking to them about getting the word out to this population. And they understand they're old, average age is 73. You have to advertise in Reader's Digest. The wives primarily, this was men, You know, have to be on the soap operas because that's what they're wa- – you know, we're really challenging ourselves to figure out how we get the word out and even to families, right? Dad could have died from these conditions. The kids now are eligible for benefits or they can advocate for mom in this example.
0: Are there any women
1: involved? It was primarily men at this time, but there are a small fraction of women.
0: All right. Let's move on. I wanted to ask you about Solid Start, the outreach program and what that's all about and what the progress there is.
1: Right. So this fundamentally changes the way VA interacts with military service members as they become veterans in the first year. And part of what we do, and this was an executive order the president assigned to begin to deal with suicide broadly across government, is we are making phone calls to veterans in their first year. First phone call in the first 90 days, the next one in the first six months, the last one within 365 days, and beginning to establish a relationship with VA, letting them know we're here to answer any question to provide information about the benefits they've earned, as well as you know, checking in on any mental health resources they may need, uh, What's very exciting. About this is the response rate in terms of people actually answering the phone is much higher than we thought, and many of the questions have so little to do with mental health resources. More, how do I apply for benefits? How do I connect with VA? So if you think of something you have a long-term relationship with, perhaps your pizza guy. I don't mean to be glib, your lawn. You know, we want to reach out and say. This is your relationship with VA. Let's get started on knowing that you are in our system now forever as a veteran.
0: Interesting. And do you call all veterans or what about those with less than honorable discharges?
1: It's the honorable discharge, people who would have access to benefits. But if you are in the dishonorable or the like thing, you are welcome if you have mental issues to come to VA hospitals and we will give you care.
0: Because that's a big gray area, I think, right now in the eventual disposition of some of those cases where the behavior that resulted right. in the less than honorable could be. right. I know not, that's, that's not a VBA issue. That's not right.
1: a VBA issue, but I know that's being relooked at for exactly the reasons you described. Times were different. Things were different. And I know that's always being thought about being reopened.
0: That's have right. you made any of the outreach calls personally?
1: No, I have not. My deputy went the first day. We began to do this in our contact centers. So she did it. She double jacked, listened in on the phone calls. Folks were very, very happy. She had, I didn't know I was eligible for these benefits. And quite frankly, they found somebody who was sitting in his car, rather distraught, not knowing what to do next, not quite certain where they were going, but it was concerning. And this connectivity got him into the VA system. So it could be better. And the other thing too, is think about, you know, you leave right away, maybe things are great, but maybe sometime in the first year things turn and These phone calls are designed to just check in. And so, you know, encourage veterans, if you do receive these phone calls, please take them. And even if everything's fine, maybe it won't be through the course of the year.
0: In part two of my interview with Undersecretary for Benefits Paul Lawrence, we also discussed a program in which VBA staff phone new veterans to tell them what services they're entitled to. I asked about the fact that in the age of runaway robocalls, how do you get people to answer the phone?
1: We observed this too, so the response rate isn't one hundred percent for exactly the reason you say people are suspect. So now we've gone and changed the caller ID says the Department of Veterans Affairs, so you can see it. But you're right, we understand everybody's very skeptical in this day and age, so we know there's something to be worked through. Hence the reason uh, to come to communicate about it about in shows like yours to explain, you know, what a valuable thing this can be.
0: And you've been holding quarterly results meetings. What's the highlights of the latest results on some of the mundane things that you do, backlogs, appeals, and all of that?
1: Sure, that's right. Once a quarter, we report through a webcast. It's a webinar, and people can find it on YouTube because we file it, right? About a 20-minute broadcast of our quarterly quarterly results modeled after a private sector earning call, go through each of the eight business lines. So for the quarter just past, the one that goes from October 1st through December 31st, which I just did a week or so ago, we reported what I call outstanding results. By every business line, every business line met or exceeded their targets. And we raised the targets at the end of the last fiscal year we were doing so well. So our ironically, our backlog in November reached an all-time low. It was Little more than sixty four thousand, and you'll recall from two thousand thirteen, it was six hundred and eleven thousand. I was
0: going to say that sounds like ninety percent based on what I remember.
1: That's exactly right. So you know, this quarter we process claims faster, more, and faster in our history.
0: Yes, because I know you did get some staff to add to that, but also there was a process change to try to make it sort of rubber stamping everything one way or the other, that you can always get rid of them overnight, but that's not what you meant.
1: No, no. We have quality indicators. So as we move faster, we want to make sure that the work still remains at a high level, and it is. So we're you know driving down the appeals backlog that we handle, um, um, and as well as you know getting more positive outcomes for veterans, getting our GI Bill claims processed faster. So we think we're making re- significant and real progress at VBA.
0: Now, at the departmental level, the Office of Information Technology recently released a year-end report dealing with 2019 talking about customer service, modernizing, and so on, and and giving better applications deployed to veterans. Mm -hmm. Has some of that affected VBA and enhanced what you're able to offer? Oh,
1: yes. We have a great relationship with OIT. The CIO I consider one of my closest collaborators. He really understands from a VBA perspective. We're the customer, and he's in business to serve us. We meet at least once a week and talk about some of the challenges. He, of course, explains, you know, the dilemma we have with old systems and somewhat modest expectations I should have. But we work together. He's always looking for what I call quarters in the couches to somehow figure out how we can get the things we need. But no, he he doesn't do anything short of performing miracles with a limited amount of IT money that's available.
0: All right. And uh, let's talk about the unbanked veterans. This was a surprise to me that there are Hundreds of thousands of veterans that don't have a bank account.
1: Right. So in an effort to get folks you know, out of the check-writing business, there are still folks, however, who can receive their benefits, choose to receive their benefits through a check or having it put onto a debit card. And both of these make them susceptible for fraud and just frustration. I lost my check. Something happened. How do I get another one? Well, as you know, they're issued by Treasury, not VA. That's a level of frustration. This debit card, as you know, if you're unbanked and you go in to use it, they can charge you fees. You can have it; lo- It's just a whole series of things. So we've established a relationship with a series of banks. So we call this program the Veterans Benefits Banking Program, VBBP. But if you just Google Veterans Benefits or Veterans Bank, you will find this. There's a series of banks and more joining this all the time who will offer to veterans. And these are big, well-known banks um, with FDIC insured, the whole nine yards no cost checking account to veterans so they can have access to world-class financial institutions to get them banked. They'll avoid fraud and abuse. They'll have all the checks we get. And quite frankly, what we hope is by interacting with the banks, their financial literacy will increase. Can't help but be in a branch and see all the products and the the safeguards in place. So that's really our plan, one of our plans for calendar year 2020.
0: Other than, and I'm making an assumption here, that those without bank are on the poor end economically. Is there any other demographic quality that characterizes. Yeah, those you know that was banks? my
1: hypothesis too. But it's not necessarily true. Hmm. It is related, we think, to the homeless problem because of all the reasons you can imagine. But there is a section uh, section that chooses to do this. And so we're trying to convince them not to do it. But you're right, it, it was it wasn't exactly what we thought.
0: And in the medical side of VA, one of the things they're dealing with is the shortage of clinicians in rural areas. On the benefit side is there any dichotomy in the ability to serve or the access ver- city versus urban? Sure. Or um, I mean, city versus now, country.
1: Now, of course, their footprint is bigger than ours, right? So we're in 56 regional offices and a handful of sub-offices around the country. But as you know, their footprint is much larger. And doctors are in demand, I think, nationwide, medical professions, there's a shor- professionals. There's a shortage everywhere. In the cities we're in, we're often an employer of choice. So we are very lucky in that sense, especially in the you know, middle part of the country. Where we experience some of the large metropolitan cities where we have offices, New York, Oakland, these type places, we notice that can be a problem to hire. But by and large, we're pretty good. We're only – we're so much smaller to the hospitals. We have 25,000 employees. We have openings, but many, many fewer
0: because in the medical area again if you have telemedicine or you have to ship pictures and so forth x-rays mri scans that takes a lot of bandwidth which is not always there but in vba i would think that you can do most of the transactions with people in rural areas over ordinary connections
1: yeah well not quite but you're exactly right we have a we have a very active footprint our offices all around the country and in Manila. We have an active telework program and exactly that. You can do much of our work remotely. And so, for example, when there we have a big office in Salt Lake City, you might have seen the news, lots of snow, probably can't get to work. You can work from home. We won't miss a beat.
0: And a final question. Any plans to add automation to pension claims and disability process?
1: Oh, absolutely. One of our big challenges has really been to figure out that what the benefits of automation can be. We've sort of gone through by business line and looked at it. One of the last ones we really need to focus on is, is pension automation. So we started a project last fall, on October 1st, to do exactly that. So we're in the middle of working with the CIO and the OIT team to figure out the resources that are available. We hope to have more on that later, but it is on our twenty FY20 list. So hopefully by the end of the summer, we'll have some announcements in terms of what we've done and how much faster it can be.
0: Paul Lawrence is Undersecretary for Benefits at the Veterans Affairs Department. There is much more to the interview. Find it in its entirety at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Hear the Federal Drive on demand and on your device. Subscribe at Apple Podcasts or Podcast One. (coughs) Cough and cold season is here
1: They get the best talent, reliable infrastructure, and save on costs by expanding in Ohio, the new Silicon Heartland. Learn how your business can succeed in Ohio. Visit successinohio.com.